Praise God. And it is a joy to be here. Can we turn to Psalm 77? Psalm 77. And as I read it, I want you to just consider the two voices, two thoughts that are going on here. One, the psalmist considering his own situation and considering that of God. There's a dialogue going on here. And the psalm is split pretty much into two. First half, considering his own plight, and the second, turning his face to God. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee. O God, the waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings, tr the lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters. And thy footsteps are not known. Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. May the Lord bless his word. Interestingly, I have a note here that Ian, our dear friend, preached on this one time in Nigeria. So that's a touching thought. I always find preaching hard because I really want it to be something which God has laid on my heart and not just some academic section of, of God's word. And what has troubled me of late is, is an affliction for all of us. And that's the issue of mental health, which I believe, I believe is so pervasive, both in the church and outside of the church. And I have a quote here from the great Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon, who is thought suffered from bipolar himself. 
if we look back now, if we want to put labels on him. And he said, and I love it because it, it just includes us all in this, as to mental maladies, is any man altogether sane? Are we not all a little off the balance? Thank you. I can identify with that completely. Because we're the product of many things, aren't we? We're the product of circumstance of birth, genetics of parents, trauma in childhood, education, social pressures, discordance in the family, breakups, financial issues illnesses, all these things make us as people. The doctor enters the house exactly at the right time. <laughs> and, and as a GP, uh, in Cambridge certainly we did an audit and one in three people in the waiting room was coming in with anxiety or depression. One in three, that's so high. And yet, as I was saying last night, 93% of the world cannot say that they have a roof over their head and food. 93% don't have both of those things. So are we not blessed in ourselves? You know, are we not blessed? But the world has come at mental illness in a way that is so inherently broken a couple of weeks ago, I had a boy who's been sexually abused for a decade, and they offered him brief crisis intervention, which is somebody who comes to his house for a chat for six sessions, and that's it, then he's discharged. What is the point? A girl who was sexually abused for five years, and she came in to me having had a meltdown at school and said, well, of course, I've got borderline personality disorder. And I listened to her for an hour on a 10-minute appointment. I said at the end, who said you had personality disorder? Oh, well, the counselor. I said, if anyone has been through what you have been through, what you are saying is entirely reasonable. How you're behaving is entirely normal. And to then hamstring you with a diagnosis on top of that, it's toxic and malevolent and wrong. God bless her that she could see that and was lifted out of that pit of holding on to a label. Someone else who was, again, a history of abuse, breakdown in the family, and the counselor said, have you ever thought about your gender? Are you happy in your gender? Man piling more pathology onto the broken. And when we go back to the 60s and 70s, you think of these half-baked efforts like Chicken Soup for the Soul. I don't know if people of a certain age remember that book, but it was a bit of Buddhism, a bit of mindfulness mixed in. Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. All these ploys to try and give people identity, to give people tools to get out of a rut. And now we have our mindfulness and, and meditation and repackaged Buddhist ideas which are filtered into the NHS. It's wrong. It's wrong. And the whole emphasis is about you. 
What can we do for you? What is your pain? Let's identify with it. Let's victimize you. Let's say, yes, this is a pain for you. I identify with you. Isn't it awful? And before you know it, the person's a victim, holding on to a new label that's been put onto them. And this is a difficulty, I think, that's actually trickled into the church. I was just at a conference, and we were praying with a man who's been going from pillar to post, seeking prayer because of benefits, because of sickness, because of sense of ill justice, injustice, depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, social isolation, acopia, and just feeling that he's missed his mark, that he wears his calling in life. And you know, it was all about him. It was all about him. And this is a born-again child of God, so focused on himself. And what I'm saying may sound hard, but I'm saying it in love. And this has really been a burden on my heart because I think within the church, this malaise of focusing on ourselves when things are going wrong can actually draw us away into an area where it becomes all about us and we take our eyes off God and we become a victim. And that is not what the Bible says. Helen Rosevere was a missionary doctor in the Congo in the 1950s. And she was involved in the Simba uprising in the Congo. And she had been there for a number of years and had built a hospital and when the rebels came, they had killed a number of missionaries, but they took her and during a brutal assault kicked all the teeth from her left side out of her jaw, top and bottom. And then they raped her repeatedly. And in her writings, you can see her interviews on YouTube. She died three years ago, I think now. She says with such love and grace that when she was being taken into the bedroom by a rebel, she knew what was going to happen. She felt God say to her, can I trust you to give thanks for this experience even though you don't understand why it's happening? Can I trust you to give thanks? And her response was, well, Lord, you died for me. I'm dead. Do what you will. And he said to her in the spirit, I just want to learn of your body for a short time. Will you do that? Now, these are hard words. I accept that. And anyone, anyone here who's been a victim of sexual assault will receive this with difficulty, I'm sure. But she was able to abdicate herself and say, Lord, in this situation, I will give thanks. I will give thanks, for you are God and I am not. And I do not, ex I do not understand why th th this is happening, but I will give thanks for who you are, because it's right and meet to give thanks, even in this situation. And following that experience, she 
was used by WECS, CT Studs Organization, for 45 years traveling the world, giving testimony and teaching to encourage people to go on the mission field. And so many times she recounted that story, and girls in the audience were broken, saying, that happened to me, and I've held on to bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, pain, victimization, labeling, and what you have said has released me. Not everyone, of course, but there was a power in her testimony because she handed the experience over to God. As Christians, we do not have to go down the route of the world but th what I'm saying is difficult to hear, I accept that. But it is mandatory that as Christians, we seek our healing and seek our answers in the Lord and not in the things of this world. Why do I say that? Because we have a Savior who experienced everything that we could ever experience and more. And he said himself that no man is greater, no servant is greater than his master. Let us just go to Isaiah 53, a well-known, well-known passage, and remind ourselves of what our Lord went through, beginning at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. As Christians, we all suffer things in our life, and sometimes it's hard to understand why it happens. Processing why Ian was shot is difficult at times. Processing what happened to us is difficult at times. All of us here can think of instances. And it's very easy to hold on to those feelings of hurt and anger, resentment, and it can color our relationship with Christ. But what should stand us out as Christians is our ability to release that, to draw our strength from him. But first and foremost, we must acknowledge what those heart, uh, hurts are. In Psalm 4.4, the psalmist says that not to sin not but to commune with our heart upon our beds and be still. What is he saying there? He's saying that we need to be honest. Everyone in here has hurts and problems. And the most important thing is honesty before God what those hurts are. And for some of us in here, they're big hurts. I don't minimize that at all, but there are some people in here who have severe hurts, maybe generational hurts, familial scars, personal battles, 
which can hold you back from full fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. And we can come to church and we can sing and we can pray and we can say hallelujah and we can smile and come to the bring and shares and everything else. But deep within our spirits is real pain, real hurt that we're still holding on to. And the first thing that we have to do is to commune with our hearts upon our beds. And that means self-analysis to say, do you know what? I am holding on to this. I'm holding on to this secret sin. I'm holding on to this hurt. I'm holding on to this pain. I'm holding on to this resentment, what somebody has said, what I've experienced. Each of you can think of something. And for some of you, they're big. But to be honest in that situation is the first and foremost thing. Why are we not honest? Because we don't trust God at the end of the day. And that's the difficulty. We don't trust him that he can deal with these pains and release us. And if we don't, we end up with pathology of the anxieties and depressions and hurts and broken relationships. And we do not grow as Christians. Habakkuk 3:17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stores. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Thinking of Psalm 77 that we've just read. You will see at the beginning. How the psalmist is almost wallowing. In the misery and the pain of his experience. It's all about I, I, I. And this is what you see so often in our society, that it's all about I, what is wrong with my life, my hurts, my difficulties. It's a culture of I. That's why we have iPhones and iPads, because I create a society that I want so I can befriend or cut off. I have my streams and Facebook, everything else. It is about I. It's self-directed. We're on the throne of our life. And at the beginning of that, we see, I complained, my spirit was overwhelmed, I am so troubled I cannot speak. My soul ran in the night, it ceased not, my soul refused to be comforted. This is a really honest guy, isn't it? He's really honest. This is how he's feeling, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to be honest really good to be honest and say do you know what I am unhappy and I'm suffering and I'm bitter and I'm far from God because if you can't be honest God can't do anything about it <coughs> then he says I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search he's wondering where his Lord has gone has God forgotten to be gracious? But you can see, instead of focusing on himself, his, his emphasis is beginning to change. He's now bringing God into the situation. He's looking at the relationship. Instead of just looking at the symptoms, he's looking at 
where's the interaction here? Where is God in the situation? And as we move through into the second half, the emphasis has changed because he's starting to take his eyes off himself and put it onto God and begin to see that that is where his strength is coming. Lifting up his eyes unto the hills from whence comes his help. Taking his eyes off. And as humans, we have eyesight that tends to be either down at the phone or horizontally in, in the street. But it's very rare we look, look up, especially in urban environments. But actually, if you go in the middle of a football pitch and look up and see God's creation, I hated football, really hated it. And I was useless at it. So I was always a left back in the dressing room, ideally. <laughs> but I would stand there, and the ball would be doing its own thing. And I would just stare up at the sky. And I wished I could just go up and explore the clouds just passing by. And I still do that if I go out for a walk. I love just looking up at the sky because it takes your eyes away from the things that are human, which is all about six to seven feet high only. It's to get our eyes off ourselves, off our own perspectives. Now what I'm saying, I know it is nothing new, and you might think, yeah, but it's you don't understand. You don't understand my situation. Well, I don't but I understand the pathology of what it means to be human because I see it every day. And when people come in, they're called heart sync patients because they, it's a revolving door of about me. They don't want help, they just want to tell you what the problem is. And our society means you can't say, do you know what, you're the problem. It's not somebody else, you are the problem. You can't say that because we live in a life of tolerance. And what your experience is, is your experience is your truth, and how dare you speak into that? But I put it to you, that is what the world says, and it paralyzes taking an absolute view. It paralyzes you, and as Christians, we can't adopt that. We can't say, oh yes, you know, I fully respect that. We have to say, I'm going to bring the counsel of God to you. Why? Because I love you, and I'm going to speak truth into your life. And this is where the emphasis begins to change. And there are some of you who may take umbrage at this. I don't apologize, because all I'm doing is telling you what the word of God says. But we have choices, because if we are born again, sons and daughters of the living God, we have choices to abdicate these pains to him. But it takes guts to do it. And that's why when we commune upon our bed and say, I have a problem, I have a problem with gambling, with lust, with anger, with resentments, I look for arguments, I love seeing the, the problems in other people, I'm wireistic, I'm selfish, I love my comforts, I'm apathetic, I'm lazy, all these things, unless we can actually name it, we can't do anything about, about it. And that takes guts, but sometimes it takes the word of God to actually illuminate that. And then we have a choice what we do about it. And that choice is to get our eyes off ourselves. And brothers and sisters, I put it to you very gently that actually, unless we do that and wallow in it, the Bible says it's sin at the end of the day. It is sin. Ephesians 5. Verse 15, 
See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days of evil. Wherefore be ye not un unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Helen Rosevear, in the midst of being raped, was, give, was giving thanks, and that released her to be used of God and to be free from the, tra the trauma of what she went through in the long term. And I put it to you that it's about the choice to give thanks in situations because we can labor on what is wrong instead of giving thanks for what is right. And that isn't to ignore the problem. That's why I said communing with our heart upon our bed is to recognize and call out, I have a problem, I have a pain, I have a hurt, I have an injustice that's been done to me, and this is why I feel as I do. And as brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that and say, I empathize, and that's what I do as a doctor. I say, I recognize your hurt. I fully, it's validated, it's justified. But instead of holding on to that, what can we do about it? You need to move beyond that, because to feed on that is sin as a Christian. It is sin, pure and simple, and it will hold us back. And I see in the church so many people held in this bondage The simplest thing is to give thanks for what we can give thanks for. In Nigeria, devotions every day, there's always someone who says, thank you that we went to bed last night and we awoke to a new day because many went to sleep <coughs> and did not wake up. And somebody said last night, I think um, the figure is 150,000 people go, go to bed and don't wake up the next day, each day. So there is enough to give thanks for, for breath in our bodies. The Bible also said to give thanks for raiment and food and be content. Our brother Paul says that he's learned to be content in all things in Philippians 4. In whatever state, to be content because he's in an attitude of thankfulness. And thankfulness is a release, but it's also a choice at the end of the day. It's to move away from those pains and to give thanks in the midst of trial. Because in doing so, we're looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And he reminds us, doesn't he, that in this world we will have trials, but we should be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And Paul in... in in Romans 5 that he says rejoice in tribulation why because it creates patience and character and hope and these are the the qualities and the fruit of the spirit that we should be cultivating in our lives in Job 13:15 even Job says though he slay me that's a heck of a word to slay me Yet I will trust in him, and I will maintain mine own ways before him. 
We have, we have choices, but it's about standing up and moving away from self-pity to give thanks because pity and self-orientation is sin, pure and simple. But to release that and to celebrate what God has done in our lives is to get our eyes upon him. And when we reflect on what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, taking everything, and remember he suffered that. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was that human cry of, I'm bereft as well. There, there is a full experience of that momentary separation. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will. So we can look unto him because there is no experience anyone here can hold on to with justification when we consider what our Lord Jesus Christ held on to and released on our behalf. And in doing so, we are free, and free indeed to be used of him. But it comes down to choice to let these hurts go. Psalm 43, for thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why art thou cast down on my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me, hoping God? For I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. The Bible is replete from start to finish of the cries of men and women in anguish, of personal <coughs> circumstance, of pain and hurt. And the flip side is there's always an answer, and that, that answer is always to look upward, always to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And I, the reason I'm, I'm burdened about this is that unless we give thanks and move away from ourselves, the church is always going to be weak. It's going to be full of broken people who limp into church every day, who hear the same things week upon week and never grow in Christ. We have a responsibility for ourselves to take what we hear, to take what the Word of God says about ourselves in the light of Scripture, in the light of Jesus Christ, and to appropriate that for ourselves and to decide to walk in his light. There are some faces who are sort of half scowling at me now, thinking, yeah, but, you know. Well, fine, but I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> because there's nothing more pathetic than a hobbled Christian, I find. It's ghastly, it really is. You want to be a joyful Christian. That doesn't mean you have to be happy, but it means you need to be sure of who you are in Christ. Because the world is so broken the last thing we want to be is a half-baked, dim-wit light shining at about eight watts because we're never going to draw anyone to Christ, are we? He gave everything for us. It is time that we manned up and womaned up. Look at who we are in Christ and where there is a defect actually have the guts to call it out and say, do you know, I'm weak in this area and I've got a pity party going on and it's time it stopped because it's disabling me and it's disrespecting Christ. It's not to pretend to be something that you're not because the most honest people are those who know their faults within them. 
But when we're honest and look to him, we will then be free. And I think Spurgeon is a good example because he was a man who his wife said on a dark and dreary day he was very depressed. Well, I notice that the patient numbers go up markedly on a rainy day, but when it's sunny, they go down. We're that fickle. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) And when there's a World Cup on, A&E department's empty. (laughs) It's true. It's true. But seriously, it really is, the church is absolutely paralytic at the current time. It's, it's, it's faltering, it's broken, it's, it's tiny, it's weak, it's got no oomph in it. Because people are buying into the things of the world, we're buying into the, the zeitgeist of the world, and we have to stand up, or we're not going to make it, we're going to fall away. The pressure will, be, will hit us. The world is grinding inexorably towards its conclusion. I don't want to be a prophet of doom. I'm just saying what's in the Bible. You know, it's true. It's true. But you know, look up because our redemption draws near. There, you know, we're going to work tomorrow. You should be a light. You should be a beacon of joy and resilience. And you can carry around your hurts and rejoice in them. If Helen Rosevear can do that for 45 years, in a Fiat 500, I gathered as well, driving around, we can do it. Because the word of God is our sustenance, it's our food, it liberates us, it frees us. In concluding, Spurgeon again said, and remember, he was battling with this the, the whole time. Let in then, be settled in your minds that you will trust only in the Lord and keep your expectation only upon him. Come fair, come foul, come wind, some rain, come hail, come tempest, or come then all the brightness of a fruitful summer day. It shall make no difference to us. For ours is not the confidence which changes with the weather, but which has its foundation among things eternal and immutable. And, you know, if Paul can break bread at the front of a ship that's on the point of sinking, should we not aim for something like that? And there's no reason that we can't be those people who rejoice in adversity, who stand up, because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us by faith. But we have to appropriate that, not limp in to just receive and go out. And I know if I interviewed you all in a couple of hours' time, you will have forgotten what I've said because other things have crowded in. It's just the way it is with sermons. But each of us have a responsibility. Why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back. And we're going to be held accountable. So there is a serious point to this. It's not just about our own walk but it's we are serving a savior. We are going about his business. And as soldiers who don't pay attention to putting on the armor correctly, who don't stand up and enact that training which is given us, and the training is here. If we don't do it, we're gonna fall. And that's happening all over. Just being at a conference and the amount of broken people, broken, 
because they've had their eyes off God. If Jesus Christ is coming back, and he is, and the prince of this world is going about his business with a scythe, it seems, if we don't put on the armor of God, if we don't understand who we are in Christ, we're going to fall away, brothers and sisters. I, I mean it. It's really, it's really ser it's serious. But that doesn't have to be with a long face because we should be rejoicing as well. So I want to encourage you that. Remember, we're looking for deliverance from sorrow, but also we're looking for deliverance in sorrow. Those two things go absolutely hand in hand. If we're delivered from something, praise God for that, and we have a testimony. But you know, there's even a bigger testimony if we're delivered in the midst of our sorrow. And we can look unto him. Oh, gosh, you've got such long faces. I don't... What can I do to encourage you? <laughs> Seriously. You know, if people come in here, here is salvation, isn't it? Here is the Lord. This is the Lord's house. So when you leave here, please just reflect on what I said. Commune upon your heart, on, upon your bed, with your heart. Examine yourself. And then you have a choice to either feed into that, like, <coughs> like a ruminator, as a psychiatrist calls it. They ruminate. They regurgitate the same issue and chew it over and swallow it again. Don't regurgitate it the next day. Let us digest and pass the thing. And then acknowledge that actually in not doing so, it's sinful. It's sinful. And to lay it down. And to move forward in Christ and just give thanks. And if you can't give thanks for anything big, personally, I think breathing is a pretty big thing to give thanks for. I, I give... We were praying in the car on the way here, and we were praying for the sun, you know, it's a nice day. It's not self-delusion, it's a fact. We haven't got a roadblock with a bunch of elephants with planks and nails as we do in Nigeria. We can actually drive down the M25 without that. And I'll give thanks for it. And give thanks for shelter and freedom to worship. All these things, that builds our strength as we begin to look upwards and that emboldens us. And why is that important? Because the person you're speaking to next isn't in that situation. So you can get alongside them and pick them up. We need guts as Christians. We need to stand up and, and, and be counted. You know. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Right. Now, I know there are people in here who have hurts, because I can see it on the faces. And I'm not asking you to come out here for prayer. But I just want to pray for each of us here that have hurts, that have secret sins, things which we're not communing in our heart about, but actually are hindrances to us moving forward and it is time we laid them down just nail it just get it out put it down and move on there is forgiveness out there but we have to be honest what that is it may even be apathy to the word because there's a few faces here which look apathetic to me but apathy is fine if you name it as that I am apathetic I'm not on fire for God I, I, just, I just don't feel it well, it's not about feelings, is it? Let's just spend a moment in prayer, but grab hold of that one thing that is, is perhaps a hindrance and decide this day to put it down, to put it down 
and give thanks that, you know, we've had our battles in our marriage and there are scars in our life and they, and they don't seem to, to go awfully easily. And all of us have scars which we don't seem to let go awfully easily. Just give thanks for it and hand it over. Hand it over. And then the enemy will not accuse us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, d we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is freedom in you. We thank you that you, you ha have seen everything. You have experienced everything that we can experience and more. You know our thoughts before we even voice them. You know our hearts, Lord. And you know, Lord, so often we, we sing and we praise you, yet our hearts are far away, far away. And Heavenly Father, you see your children here carrying burdens and just each of us here can, can name that bur bur burden now and say Lord God Almighty I recognize that this is holding me back and I'm sick of it and I'm just going to lay it down here but this is why you died Lord you took this burden you said your yoke is light so I'm laying it down now Lord and I don't even have faith that I won't pick it up as soon as I leave the building I don't know but I'm just being honest I acknowledge it's sin I acknowledge this hurt our Heavenly Father we, we love you and we praise you we thank you for, for new life we thank you for the gift of salvation for the blood that was shed at Calvary we praise you Heavenly Father, have your way in every heart here, Lord. May the word that has been preached fall into soil that is rich. And let not the birds snatch it away as we leave the building, Lord. We are your body. We are your hands and feet on this earth. And we seek to do your will. We seek to declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this place. And we seek to have a testimony of what you have done in our lives that we may show other people, that they may see that there is a God who loves them. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit will bring to conviction and repentance each of us here. Do a work in us, Lord. Cleanse our heart from all unrighteousness and create a new spirit within us, Lord, a new heart of repentance and conviction. Break us, Lord, upon that stone, that we will keep short account at all times, Lord. And we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for this day, for freedom to worship. We give you thanks for the breath in our body, for food upon our tables, for someone who loves us, for fellowship in this place. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. Lord God Almighty, we look unto you. Have your way this day in our lives. In the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.